Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the, all the way to number 1. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow it down here. We're going to get a little deep and a little serious. I know sometimes we sit here on Top 5 and we talk about things that are a lark. You know, mm-hmm. Sending someone circus peanuts for their birthday or holiday. Or if they, uh, you ever see them live, you can just flick them at these people. Lark, of course, uh, in Stephen we world can, means cruel, cruel we can, tapes. I mean, I would never do those things. That's that's part of the fun and the humor, right? And we talk about things that are like uh, light and happy and joyous a lot of times. But then we get Jimmy. And Jimmy is, hey guys, how about you do a top five comics that made you cry? And so this week, we're going to tear up a little bit. We're going to get a little bit more serious. We're going to talk about comics that made you cry. Just Matthew and I, and I here this week because we're, we're comfortable with our feelings. We yeah. can admit that we cry. We're men that cry. Mm-hmm. And we're that's okay. Yeah. And so I'm also okay to admit that there are some times when I think Damian Wayne isn't horrible. Mm-hmm. For example, in Batman and Robin number 18. <gasps> The death of Damian Wayne, probably one of the greatest <laughs> moments in Damian Wayne's life. But anytime a character dies, which tends to be as I'm looking at everything on my on my list, mm. death seems to be pretty predominant in this. And I hate to see somebody die because, you know, the feelings and the grief that you go through or in the case, if you're Bruce Wayne having your uh, your uh, clone baby son or whatever he was. Uh, taken away from you just as you're 18 issues into knowing about him is tragic. And I will admit that a, sh- a, a little tear may have left my eye and traveled partway down my cheek when Damian Wayne died in the pages of Batman and Robin number 18, part of the, the new 52, if I'm not mistaken. So there, Matthew, there, I'm, I will admit that I can shed a tear for Damian Wayne. What say you? What is your number five? Don't shed a tear for Damian Wayne. I feel like, you know, we are generally kind of uh, japes and jesters, but I feel like it's also good to be able to do grave nature because on the one hand you have, you know, the wacky fun and on the other you have serious adult things. And I think if you have both, if you have the wacky on the one hand and the serious on the other and you put them together, it's more money. Um, and, you know, people like that. So, my number five is a moment, one of the earliest moments that I can remember of a story really, really touching me. And uh, it is the first story that I remember reading by a creator best known these days as the original author. Um, but back in the day, he used his name, Alan Moore. And uh, Alan Moore didn't write a whole lot of mainstream DC in the early days, but he did, you know, bits and pieces here. And one of those was action comics number 11 or annual rather number 11 Mm. for the man man who who has has everything. everything. Yeah. And there are moments in that story that are very touching because basically Mongol shows up. He traps Superman in a dream world where everything he wants is real. He's on Krypton. He's living with his parents. He's married. He has children, he's happy, he has a life, he doesn't have to worry about everybody in the world. And halfway through the story, you know, Superman's mind starts seeing inconsistencies in the story. 
he doesn't cat you know, walks by twice. Yeah, the cat right, walks there, by twice and there he are keeps moments calling his where, wife you know, Lois. He realizes that it's dream logic. And he is sitting there with his beloved son Vanzi, and he's he's starting to feel like something is wrong. And in tears, Kal-El turns and puts his hand on his boy's shoulder and says, Van, I don't think you're real. And he, I mean, he is heartbroken to realize this, that his beloved family isn't real. And, you know, this is Superman. This is a guy who has basically spent, at this point, decades or a decade alone after the death of his family. You know, his parents died, and then he went to a new world, and then his new parents died, and he had to go off to Metropolis by himself. And it's just, it's a heartbreaking story. But it's capped by one of the most shocking pre-crisis Superman moments, because after waking up from that dream, Superman stands up, and Mongol is laughing and doing his villain montage, and Superman just says, burn, and starts just flat-out heat-visioning Mongol. And it's Batman and, and Wonder Woman who have to keep him from literally murdering Mongol mm-hmm. on the spot. But it is such a touching moment just to see Superman, you know, Kal-El talking to his son there and just, oh, made me cry. Yeah. I think I was maybe 14 when that book came out. It was like 1985. Yeah, I've got a couple of Superman things on my list. We'll get to those in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is a good one. Uh, it, uh, you know, the man who has everything almost made my list. Uh, just because of that heartbreak of, you know, you got what you wanted and then having the realization that it's taken away from you is really heartbreaking. Yes. But my number four is actually uh, tears of happiness. Right. Uh, so one of my there are there are two issues of Sandman that are my favorite. Mm-hmm. The first one is the um, and it's not my number one, but one of the the two is the one that is the Shakespeare one where they do midnight summer's night's dream and all the fae come and they watch this and, you know, uh, Morpheus and William Shakespeare have had this agreement and, you know, it all ends well that, you know, uh, ends well happily and all those good things. But Mm -hmm. my favorite issue of Sandman is Sandman number 13, which kind of introduces the concept of William Shakespeare and Morpheus meeting previously, Mm -hmm. but more importantly, introduces the character of Hob Gadling. Oh. And Hob Gadling is this guy in the 1400s. I think it's 1400s, maybe before that. Uh, but, you know, he's there in this tavern and Morpheus comes in and Hob is just like, oh, man, I, I you know, I, I uh, hate the time period now. I want to live, you know, forever. I, you know, it's 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 up to a man to decide whether he's going to live or die. And I choose to live forever. And Morpheus is like, oh, tr- is that right? Uh, my guess is that uh, you're quickly going to tire of this. And, uh, you, you will decide to die. And Hob Gadling's like, no, no way. Never. That's a mugs game. Yeah. And so Morpheus says, okay, here's the deal. We will meet here in this tavern in 100 years. And Morpheus <laughs> comes back 100 years later and there's Hob and Hob's like, yeah, this is great. Uh, yeah. The black plague was a little bit of a, of a downer, but you know, I'm still loving this. And Morpheus is like, okay, well, we'll come back another 100 years and have another drink comes back another hundred years and Hob has gone through some things and then they keep doing this every hundred years. Uh, at one point Hob is upset because he got into the slave trade and realized that it was a, a horrible thing for him to get into. And we go through until we get to 1880 and Morpheus is basically like, come on, you just, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this, but you can't really still maintain this positive attitude that you want to live forever. 
And Hobgadling is like, no, I definitely do intend to live forever. In fact, I think you want me to live forever. And that's why you keep agreeing to come back every hundred years. And Morpheus is like, no, 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 no. And then Hobgadling tells Morpheus, tell you what, you've always been saying you want to meet back here in a hundred years. I'm going to say you are going to meet me back here in this tavern in 100 years, not because you want to check in with me, mm-hmm. but because we are friends. Mm-hmm. And Morpheus is like, how dare you? I have no friends. You think I want to be a friend with a mortal? And Morpheus <laughs> storms off. And then 1980 rolls around or whatever year this issue came out, 86, maybe. Uh, I forget the exact year of this release. But in the end, Morpheus is kind of late to their meeting, but he goes to the tavern anyway. And sure enough, Hobgadling is there and he's like, oh, for a moment, I didn't think you were going to show up. And Morpheus is like, how could I let down a friend? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, that is such a great way. Such a sweet moment. yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those that brings tears to your eyes. It's one of those. I I am I'm happy not because it's a sad moment, but because mm-hmm. it is this joyous moment between two people who have had a relationship for so long that they don't really need to be told that each other doesn't have to go to the other and say, hey, I consider you my friend, but you know it. And the fact that Hob and Morpheus have to push each other to say it, especially in the 1980s, you know, as we start to change uh, you know, men aren't yeah. supposed to cry and men are men, manly men's and they don't admit feelings for each other. Uh, you know, uh, segment number 13 says, yeah, it's okay to do those kinds of things. And it's just mm-hmm. so sweet and nice and wonderful <laughs> that it had to go on my list. I just recently listened to the audio adaptation of this on audible, uh, from Neil Gaiman. And it's great too. Uh, people yeah. should go check uh, part one out. Part two is out now, but Sandman number 13, my number four of comics yeah. that make you cry. That's a great one because throughout the series, people say Morpheus, they tell him, Morpheus, you've changed. And his response is always the same. He always says, I doubt it. Yeah. But that issue is one of the obvious, you know, that's just proof that he changed. And ironically, and in no way fake, this is legit. My number four is also an issue of Sandman. Oh, yeah. This one or a different one? Is it feature Hob Gadling? It does not feature Hob Gadling, although my favorite Hob Gadling story is Hob's Leviathan, which is a story that doesn't have Morpheus in it at all. Mm. I, I don't my, think I've read that one because I usually stop right around the time that we end the Shakespeare stuff. So, uh, mine is actually in uh, the volume after that, A Season mm-hmm. of Myths, mm-hmm. and it is issue 37. And throughout uh, the Season of Mist, the story has been centered on a group of characters living in a, an apartment building. There's Barbie and mm-hmm. her husband. Ken. Yeah. Yep. I know them. Yep. And then of course there's uh Hazel and, yep. and uh, Foxglove mm-hmm. and Thessaly, the witch. Right. And a woman named Wanda. Yep. And, uh, throughout the story, you know, everybody's story comes, comes to, uh, the front. And we discover at one point that Thessaly is going to use her magic to take the women to another world. And, Thessaly's like, I'm sorry, Wanda, you can't go, which is, you know, if if I recall correctly, one of the first overt mentions that Wanda is a trans woman. But during the story, when they are dealing with things in the other world, Wanda is left in the real world. And Wanda ends up being killed by, you know, completely, well, not mundane, but a storm that was related to what's going on in the mystical lands. Mm. And so Wanda dies. 
And she ends up, uh, she gets sent home to her family who did not agree with uh, her choices in life and tried to bury her under her dead name. And so Barbie came to the Midwest to Kansas. It's the issue that has the Kansas references that Mm -hmm. don't make sense if you live in Kansas Mm -hmm. because she's driving east and she sees Salina before she sees Goodland. And I'm like, no, that's not how Kansas works. But nonetheless, she gets to uh, Wanda's grave and finds that they have the wrong name on it. And she takes her lipstick and scrawls in big letters, Wanda, across the dead name Mm -hmm. on the grave. Mm Mm-hmm just so that people know who her friend really was. And it's such a sweet moment. And it's a moment in a story that's really dark, even Mm -hmm. by Sandman staff. I mean, we're not talking like 24 hours in a diner dark from issue eight, but it's really dark and there's a really heavy body count throughout it. And then of course it rolls right into a story with an even bigger body count. But, Oh man, I do love that moment. And I remember being just totally verklempt when I first read that, uh, not in the original issues. I never read Sandman in the original issues. I read them mm-hmm. in the collected trade paperbacks mm-hmm. because if you read it an issue at a time, you'll just be insane. You, yeah. You I think that mind. would be, I think that'd be really rough. Um, again, I just, like I said, I recently, we, we re went through Sandman, um, the part one in autumn. Mm-hmm. So I got to relive all the issues that I read, but cool. you know, I still get all skeeved out about the, uh, the serial killer convention and mm-hmm. certainly, um, uh, the Corinthian always just bothers me. So when I get but, into yeah. that sections of the book in the first read through, I'm just like, you know, who is this, you know, and not really knowing who Neil Gaiman was at the time, who is this F that person? And why is he writing <laughs> such horrible stories? And then you get past that and then you get into like, the hobgadling stuff and the the stuff about yeah. the um what's her name is it Rose who is the um mm-hmm. the storm yep. and it's like Rose oh yeah these her, her little brother Jed yeah and these are like really cool stories unfortunately you have to still deal with some of that that horrific stuff so that's why usually I get up to about the twenty sixth twenty fifth issue and I'm just like okay that's that's about as far as I can go but I also read that's these in trades yeah I read these in trades and if I had read them in their single issues I would have said no way am I coming back for creepy eye mouth guy on the cover yeah. That, yeah, that, uh, the Corinthian is creepy, creepy, creepy. Don't ever read about the Corinthian and for no, God's sake, unf- don't dream about him. It's unfortunate that you, uh, you can't get away from him. I mean, certainly, uh, Corinthian esque imagery, uh, has become a, a total meme online. Yeah. Uh, people are jerks. Uh, I mean, they're having fun, but, uh, it's yeah, certainly jerks. not something that makes me cry. It almost made me not get to issue 13 and everything after. So I, I also like, I mean, I don't have any more Sam on my list. Uh, but I do, uh, I did like the, um, what's the metamorpho woman, uh, name. Uh, oh yeah. Urania, Urania, Urania Blackwell, right. the, the yeah. elemental woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it's not on my list, but it almost made it remember three Septembers into January, the mostly true story of emperor Norton, the first and only emperor of the United States of America. Oh, from San Francisco. No, I, if yeah. that's, if that's the same man story, I can't wait to get to that. Cause I've, I've never, yeah. like I said, I've issued 25 and that's it. So yeah, yeah, that's my brain says that's like issue third, 29, 30, something like yeah, that. I've got the absolute edition, so I may have to dig yeah. that out. Yeah. It's, it's a, what, just a wonderful story. Yeah. All right. So here we go back into our sad cry, cry, man, man crying uh, moments. There are two different identity crisis instances on my top five list. 
And when I, in hindsight, this one is probably more powerful and probably should be flipped around with the other one. Mm-hmm. But there is a moment where, and I forget who is stalking Tim Drake's father. I think it's uh, Boomerang. Captain Boomerang. Yeah, Captain Boomerang. And Tim, of course, finds out about this and he's trying to get to his father and he's on the phone uh, with Batman or the intercom or whatever that they're using their walkie talkies and mm-hmm. just begging Batman to rush as fast as he can to save his father. And it's a huge sequence, like multiple pages to where we get to the part where, you know, Tim's on the phone with his dad and his dad saying, everything's going to be okay. And all these, these things. And he's pleading with Batman to hurry up and get there. Of course, Batman gets there too late, but Tim is already there as well. And he has to comfort Tim and hold him, uh, after his father has died. And I think that that, if you get through those panels, without shedding a little tear when you just see this horror, this look on Tim's eye. If I remember correctly, all we mm-hmm. see is like his eyeball peeking out from yeah. the shadows created he's, by Batman. And he's looking straight at the reader. Yeah. yeah which is a, also a little disconcerting, right? Spike the camera. Yeah, It always, it frightened me because as much as you read that as, Oh my God, he's crushed. I, I read that as, Oh my God, He's slowly just sinking into the horror that is Batman's. Yeah, yeah. No, no, seriously. That's that's what it comes to. But, you know, just that moment of Tim trying to save his father and then not being able to save his father. And again, just like uh, Batman and Robin 18, where we see the death of Damian Wayne, it is that death of someone that has meaning for you that just causes the character in the book to fall apart. And of course, hopefully the reader to fall apart as well. So my number three is the identity crisis, uh, moment where it is the death of Tim Drake's father. Yep. We should do Drake. a list of top five Robin related deaths. <laughs> oh man, there's the a lot of part them. is we could literally do four people doing four, five different things. And I mean, we still have, there's yeah. the, the death of, uh, Stephanie Brown, who I just happened to be a Robin at the time. Oh man, yep. you're right. There's the so. death of his parents. Uh, uh yeah. <laughs> Tim, Tim Drake's parents dying in two different, uh, instances, his mother yeah, dying, just... his mother dying from, uh, poisoned by some voodoo priest and yeah. then his father dying from captain boomerang. So, Oh, that's yeah. creepy. Yeah. 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 Creepy. What do you, what do you have for number three, Matthew? My number three is thematically awesome. Ask me why. Uh, why? 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 Matthew? Why? It's why? Matthew? Comic. It's from a comic called we three. Oh yeah. Yeah. This one was, I, I went around looking to see. Uh, if anybody else had listed like comics that make you cry and definitely we three is high on this list. Oh yeah. We three is just so amazing. But the end of we three comes to a point where, uh, our characters who are cybernetically enhanced animals, a kitty, a puppy and a bunny have escaped and are running loose across the country in their little armored suits. Uh, and they're named one, two and three, but their Mm -hmm. real names are bandit tinker and pirate. And they are trying they were designed to kill humans, but they're trying to get away. Mm-hmm. And as they, you know, are being chased across the country, it comes to a point where pirate, the bunny sacrifices himself to save his friends. And they're, they're talking, you know, and they talk in a very specific way. Yeah. And somewhat robotic like, at times. Yeah. But they're, well, they're talking not just robotic because they're, you know, they're animals with a strange, confluence of the universe and you know the cat is like man stink. right 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 and the dog is like our our dog good but we get to a point where he's about to kill himself 
And he's, I can't even remember the phrase now. It just makes me cry. But he's like, home means no more run. Mm -hmm. And then he sacrifices himself so that his friends can get away. And it's just so heartbreaking. And then, of course, it ends. uh, the, The last bit of the story, we find a strange homeless man. Uh, with his dog and his cat, who look like they, you know, might be disabled dog and cat, or they might be dog and cat who've been pulled out of, you know, their cybernetic suits. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the man is just sitting there and he's talking about how the government is up to no good, and somebody's like, "Your animals are so well behaved." <laughs> yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's it's." A- it's oh. Yeah, for people who want to hear our thoughts on this, you need to go all the way back to the Major Spoilers podcast, episode 133 oh. from 2009. That's when we we reviewed We Three. Oh, it's a good good story. Yeah, good story. that was a long time ago, too, man. Are comics good? No, wait, that's a different show. <laughs> different, different show. Different, different show. Okay, show. so we have come up to our number two, and I mentioned Superman because really, to be quite honest... Anytime Superman does something heroic, and I don't mean like lifting a car off of somebody or, you know, uh, putting a, putting a dam back together as it's bursting, but Superman showing empathy and understanding anytime Superman is doing that kind of stuff makes me cry. So there are two moments that I'm going to combine in here just because it's Superman, and of course you mm-hmm. can do anything you want because it's my show, and uh, I'm That's combining true. two Superman moments. The first one is in Action Comics 775, where he's talking, I think this is the... Um, first on our, appearance of the Elite. Yeah, the Elite, that's who it is. Where Superman says, dreams save us, dreams lift us up and transform us, and on my soul I swear. Until my dream of a world where dignity, honor, and justice becomes the reality we, are, we all share... I'll never stop fighting ever. That doesn't make you tear up. What's wrong with you? Are you not a human? Are you not somebody that wants the world to be better? And that is a great Superman quote. Okay. Then of course I'm thinking, Oh, uh, who wrote the, uh, the, uh, the elite. Um, Joe. Oh, was it Joe? Oh, for some reason I thought uh, Grant Morrison was involved in, in their thing. Which brings me then to the second really great Superman moment in All-Star Superman. Where there is a girl, I think it's a girl, is about to jump off the edge of a building. She's about to commit suicide. Yeah. She's about to commit suicide. And Superman just comes up and has a conversation with her. And essentially says, we all have bad days. Even I have a bad day. And through the conversation, I think it's maybe two or three pages, maybe two pages. Heck, if it's only one page, it's great. Yeah, I think but it's just one page. Really? Wow. Then that, then it's even more powerful because I always remember it being like two pages. And Superman talks the jumper off the edge of the building. And it's just so, not somebody who's like, I'm just doing my job as a police officer. To, and I'm not saying that police officers who are talking people off the edge of a building aren't sincere in, in their conversations with people. Right. But when Superman does it, even though it's written, even though it's somebody else who's putting the words in Superman's mouth, even though Superman is a fictional character, 
it shows that somebody really gets Superman when you can yes. write those words and shows oh. that it doesn't have to be, as you said a moment ago, Matthew, where Superman just wants to burn uh, Mongol to, to death. Yes. But it shows that this is a person who understands what it means to suffer. Yeah. The, it's, it, in a lot of ways, this is the essence of Superman. I mean, there's maybe 30 words on that page. Yeah. But it's just perfect essence of Superman. You are so much stronger than you think. And I just, oh, oh, that's such a good moment. That is a good, I should have had that on my list. I'm mad at you. For uh, well, you can, you can certainly take it and say, that is also my number two, Stephen. Brilliant. You're a brilliant yeah. man uh, and great minds and all those things. Okay. But, you know, I, get, I don't I do recall get, saying you are brilliant. I, I mean, you could certainly say that. And then you could also share in this number two with me. We can share our number twos together. Have you ever seen that meme of what would you tweet to let people know you've been kidnapped? <laughs> My number two. What's, what's, is no, wait, what's the what's the thing from uh, Manchurian Candidate? Matthew oh, is yes. the greatest, finest Steven person Schleicher I've ever is met. The kindest, yes. warmest, <laughs> most personable human I have ever met. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. What is your number is, two that makes everybody? Mine cry? is much earlier than yours because uh, I grew up in the Bronze Age of comics, the 1980s. It was a it was a time when seagulls came in flocks and balloons in groups of 99, and uh. Comic books were written by Roger Stern. Uh, Stern and John Romita Jr. started mm -hmm. writing Spider-Man or started doing Spider-Man together literally the month that I started reading Spider-Man as oh, okay. a 14-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. So I started at the very beginning. But about 10 or 12 issues in, we get an issue where the story is a fight with Thunderball. But then there's a backup. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 248. The backup story is called The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. Now, here's the thing. This is a story that is beloved by readers, beloved by creators. Wizard Magazine, whom I seldom, seldom quote and don't necessarily always respect the opinions of, named this one of the best Spider-Man stories ever. And it is my favorite Spider-Man story because the kid who collects Spider-Man is a story about a kid who just, he loves Spider-Man. He's the biggest Spider-Man fan in the world. And the framing sequence is a column by... Um, I think Phil Urich, but it's a column in the daily bugle talking about this, this Spider-Man fan and how he loves Spider-Man and he wishes he could meet Spider-Man. And during the story, Peter Parker climbs in his window in full costume and he's like, Hey, I'm Spider-Man. And they talk about his stories and the kids like, what about Dr. Octopus? And you know, Spider-Man is having this wonderful time. This kid loves him, wants to know all about him. He's having fun with this little boy. And the kid's like, who are you really? And Spider-Man takes off his mask and says, my name is Peter. And I do this because when I was younger, there was an accident and my uncle Ben died. And I feel a responsibility to keep that from happening to other people. And the kid is so touched by this. And at the end of the story, you know, uh, Spider-Man cries, cries. He's climbing out the window crying. And I'm crying. And then we see the last line of the story. Uh, Tim has uh, fatal leukemia and is not going to survive. Yeah. And Tim passes away at the end of the story. The doctors only gave him a few weeks to live. And it's this wonderful moment where you kind of see like that Superman moment straight to the heart of Spider-Man. When it comes down to it, Spider-Man is just a really smart kid 
who got thrown into a situation where he feels like he has to do these things out of responsibility, but it's a, just a sweet moment for Spidey. It's a moment where we get to see an excited kid treating him like a hero where most of the time, you know, Spider-Man gets villainated. Yeah. But, you know, you get to the end of that story and it's just so, so crushing. And, you know, when I was 14, it was the 80s. And, uh, you know, we were still in the men don't cry phase. You know, you were allowed to wear a pink suit and no socks like Don Johnson. But, man, this story just teared me up something fierce. And you should read it. It, it honestly, I think I have best. You definitely have because yeah. we've read it in a collection. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I mean, you know, the regal you, uh, oh, all y'all listening to the all y'all. spoilers top five right now. All yeah. All y'all y'all is singular. I'm all going to bet. I'm going to bet that I'm going to take a bet that more than half the people who are listening to this episode right now have also read that, uh, issue. That's, that's going to be my guess. We have a very smart, well-rounded, uh, yeah, we've got a, we've got a smart, well-rounded audience, uh, we do. who, who, who's into these kinds of things and, and probably go, uh, out of their way to, to read some of these stories. And, uh, yeah, so I'm sure we have a great audience. You know, who else is great? Who dad? Uh, this awkward transition into our Patreon plug at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All of I our love patrons, awkward transitions. all of our patrons are wonderful. They help make this show possible. And when you become a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers, like Jimmy has, you've kind of got a direct line to us. So, you know, if, if we're in a, an exclusive Patreon chat channel on our discord server and Jimmy right. comes up and says, uh, excuse me, you guys, uh, could you please review, do a top five comics that made you cry, man, that's going to have a lot more weight to it than, uh, somebody who just shouts out of the, uh, out from the darkness from, from the back row, uh, screaming, I got in for free and I want you guys to do one on your top five favorite boogers. I, Why I does got... Jimmy talk like Oliver twist in your mind again? <laughs> Cause Jimmy is a kind Please, soul. Sir, may I have some more he, top five? <laughs> he is a good kind soul. Just like. Our, our poor little boy from uh, A Christmas Carol, who in the sequel to A Christmas Carol grows up to be a horrible, horrible person. I think you're thinking of Tiny Tim. Yes, that's who also I'm thinking of. Tiny Tim. Uh, but hey, we would love for you, dear listener, if you are not already one of our, our, our patrons, to take a jump over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and share in all of the excitement and joy and get access to like our exclusive uh, Discord channels on our Discord server where you can interact with us from time to time and join in some of our live shows that we do on our discord channel. Uh, but you can only do that when you become a patron at the silver level and higher. So what are you waiting for? Head over to patreoncom slash major spoilers, support us today and allow us to continue to do more top fives in the near future. I don't think a lot of people realize that Matthew, all of our funding for everything that we do at major spoilers. And it's not a lot. I mean, no. we're not, we're not bringing in $9 million a year uh, off the work we do. I'd be surprised if we even hit six figures in a year off of the work that we do. Yeah. But it's all funded and made uh, possible through the support of the work of our patrons. And if you want to know something that makes me cry, what's that? It is, it is the generosity of all the people who are patrons. 
It just, I, it I makes, it, I feel like sometimes I feel like the Grinch where my heart swells three sizes and it bursts out of my chest because my heart should not be three sizes too big, but it just brings right. a tear that's, to my that's eye. That's cardiomyopathy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it's it is. It's actually a very serious disorder. <laughs> but that's what happens when I think about all of our fine patrons is they, they just fill me with such, such joy and happiness and it just brings a tear to my eye. So thank you patrons for giving me a swelled heart. I now must go see my doctor apparently. Yeah, you're probably going to be on blood thinners. Yeah, and now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. And hydrochlorothiazide. But no, probably not. Uh, my number one, again, I had mentioned Identity Crisis appeared twice on this. Mm-hmm. And in that first issue, they really spend a lot of time setting you up for, for uh, sadness. In that you get to see, and for those people that know who Ralph and Sue Dibney are, the elongated man and his wife, Sue, you know that they share a very special connection with one another. And you know that theirs is a love that was meant to be from the very first time that they laid eyes upon one another back in the 1950s. They were a couple that was match made in heaven. And they have gone on wondrous adventures together. And they are just the, the perfect couple, the perfect couple that you wish you and your loved one were. And then she dies horribly burned to death and again ralph is rushing to make sure that she is safe and she is not and unfortunately that final page where the sprinkler system is going off and ralph literally can't hold himself together because of the grief over uh his dead wife in his arms is just at the time to me just i'm bawling you know even before you get to that final reveal i'm just bawling over the fact that how could they do this? How could these horrible people kill off this beloved character in the form of Sue Dibney? And I feel so much pain and sorrow for Ralph and the grief that he must be going through. And I sure do hope over these next 11 issues that we find out who done it. And that's what kicks off the identity crisis series over at DC. Unfortunately, I mean, at the time, when I was reading this, man, I'm just sitting there on the couch, just crying. And my wife's looking at me like, what in the heck? And it's like, oh, I don't ever want to lose you the way that, that Sue Dibney went out. And then she's oh. like, I don't think anyone's going to take a flamethrower to me and stomp on my brain. That's a clue, by the way. Oh, uh, she says that. but Yeah, that's what my wife says. But I think she, she knows the truth. Uh, but yet the time, I'm just crying. Today, I think it feels a little ham-fisted. And yeah. uh, it's kind of problematic uh, in places. Yeah. The, the, the development of the mystery is not up to that cliffhanger open. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you. The visual of Ralph literally melting Mm -hmm. while he holds her under the sprinklers. He just can't keep it together. Yeah. Just masterful. But you know, from there on, on, I forget who was the artist on that. Uh, rags, uh, rags, Morales just does some fantastic art. And it's amazing. Yeah. And throughout the series, I think he does a, a really, really good job in that. So my number one, the death of Sue Dibney in identity crisis. Now, Matthew, your number one, I'm sure yes. is the resurrection of Hal Jordan. I will find you. <laughs> I mean, that's not a terrible story. It's I not. Mean, I mean, it really, I mean, who's that? That's, uh, everybody's the entire creative guy. team is, is on my list of people I don't trust anymore, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, at the time, you know, not bad. But no, my number one is a story by a creative team that I trust implicitly. They have proven time after time, year after year, issue after issue, that they can do 
touching. They can do horrifying. They can do creepy. They can do funny. They can do wild and crazy. And they can do the most touching comic in the history of comics. And I don't say that necessarily with a great deal of yatata or a great deal of, uh, you know, over amping it. I honestly feel that this is a perfect comic book. Astro City, number one half, which was originally a mail away comic, mm. a wizard promo book. It was later finally, uh, thankfully, Collected. reprinted in, you know, in an issue that you could just go out and buy. And of course, it's part of the Astro City collections, which I think are now going to be at Image. Where are they now? They're at Image? Yeah, okay. I believe it's Image. They had just recently been at Vertigo and then Vertigo kind of collapsed. But the thing about Astro City number one half is how wonderfully perfect it is. Because Astro City is not about the superheroes. Astro City is about a world full of people in a universe where superheroes exist. And so the story opens with a man named Michael who keeps having these recurring dreams. Just these recurring dreams of a woman that he loves. He loves more than anything. And he can't quite get over it he can't figure it out and it's this really strange existential thing where he knows this woman he knows this woman but she doesn't exist you go home you go to sleep you dream of miranda you get up you go around your life miranda does not exist there's i mean but you're completely in love with this dream and one night he's sitting in his bed and the hanged man who is a uh, mystical being comes through the ceiling and tells him okay here's the deal she did exist he doesn't talk like that the hangman talks all you know schmoopy she doesn't exist i'm the hanged man you fear you are going mad but you are not your dreams were in truth reality and he shows her the truth that uh, shows michael the truth that miranda did exist but uh the universe was destroyed or nearly destroyed, and the heroes of Astro City rebuilt reality, kind of like the Zero Hour story that came mm-hmm. a few years later. But they rebuilt reality, and a few inconsistencies slipped through, and one of them was that Miranda never existed. But he still knew her, and he loved her, and he was married to her. And the hanged man tells him that as part of this, he is traveling around and offering everyone the chance to forget. And Michael and Miranda, you know, are, it's, it's a part of him. It's in, it's in his DNA. He cannot sleep without knowing, but he thinks for a moment and he tells the hangman, no, I don't want to forget. And if that's not heartbreaking enough, he then goes, wait, how many people choose to forget? And the hanged man just sort of floats there and you can almost see him smile under his burlap hood. And he says, no one forgets. No one. Mm. And oh, such, such a moment. And the story ends with Michael finally going back to sleep and the hangmen floating out into the world. But it is so wonderful. It is so perfect. And my description of it doesn't do it any favors. And if you haven't read it, I'm so sorry. I just spoiled it for you. But if you have, you're in tears right now. You're sniffling a little bit. And the reason why is this is an amazing story. And it, Every time I read it, every time I think about it, I did a retro review of it several years ago at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, it's about 10 years ago, actually. Look around 2011. It was a Sunday in 2011. There you You'll go. find it. It'll be there. And, so, th- uh, oh. so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Five, five comics 
that made us realize that there's dust or something in the air and we should probably go in clean the, the house way. or change the filter on our on our uh, air conditioner or our furnace system or perhaps that uh, you realize you're suddenly allergic to something cat dandruff whatever it may be I'm definitely not crying. You're not crying. And the reason You're why crying. we're not crying is because what we're really looking forward to is going over to the Major Spoilers Discord server in the top five channel. This is free. You don't have to be a patron for that. You can yes. go over there and everybody will be talking about the top five comics that made them cry. They will say, here's my list. Here's the reason why. Some people just put in a short list. Some people go on and have lengthy conversations about licorice, Matthew. Uh, <laughs> but the nice thing is everybody's super polite over on our Discord server. Everybody's going to read uh, your list. They're going to read everyone else's list. They're going to share their lists of the top five comics that made you cry. Why? Because everyone loves a list, and we will talk with you soon. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.